Hi, my name's Shelley Flett. Welcome to the Dynamic Leader Podcast, where I share insights, experiences, successes, and failures with leaders from across a broad range of industries and business structures. I maintain that each of us needs to be open to sharing our experiences and making the leadership playground safe enough to fail, to grow, to have fun, and ultimately become more dynamic. So please sit back and enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another Dynamic Leader Conversation. So today I'm having a conversation with Jo Alilovich, who is an employment lawyer. She's a podcast host and advocate for flexible work. And so today's conversation is really going to be around uh, working flexibly, whether that is uh, 100% from home or um, a little bit of a hybrid or distributed team. So we're going to talk about that. Joe helps uh, businesses um, go from people problems to teams that get results, which is definitely needed um, in our workplace at the moment. She's the founder of Flexible Law Practice 3D HR Legal, where the whole team work from home at the moment. Uh, and in addition to having provided uh, legal advice and representation for over 20 years, I'm pretty sure she knows it stuff. Um, she regularly speaks on uh, flexible work practices. Thank you so much for joining us, Joe. It's a pleasure, Shelley. Thank you. <laughs> so um, when I talk about, you know, um, shifting um, and that home-based um, teams, and you've written a book called Home Force, which is really about building connected, engaged home-based teams. I really want to tap into that because we've, we've gone um, from this environment of working mostly in offices to mostly working at home to now there's this um, combination of, you know, where do you work and what's the business case for doing that? And I don't know that organizations make it that clear on why they're doing what they're doing. And so my first question um, for you is really, you talk in your book about needing to have a vision for the shift or the need for, you know, having a home-based team. Why is the business, why is the the vision itself important? And should the, the vision for working from home align to the overall business vision? The key word in, in that question for me when I hear it is shift, you know, and so shift means there's going to be a change of some description. And we all know that usually change comes, especially workplace change, comes with, um, you know, some issues, shall we say. You know, people don't generally like change. And so the best way for us to get through it is to know why we're doing something. It's kind of like when you make an exercise goal, it's like, why am I doing this because of my health or because of my appearance or whatever it is? I know why I'm doing it. I can see that vision ahead of me. And so the same thing comes with your, with your workplace. If you're looking at making a, um, a distributed team or you want to have a hybrid arrangement or whatever it is that you're looking to do is knowing what are we going to get out of that? What benefit will it have to us as an organization and ultimately when we run an organization we need to know um you know that everything that we're doing is designed to improve that organization to keep it stable to keep it growing to keep it profitable so that we can provide great service and so that we can you know keep our business going so that we can keep our people employed as well mm-hmm. so we we absolutely need to have that vision in mind so that everyone can stay true on the path and you know keep coming back to that whenever it's starting to feel hard how often do you think um, that businesses put in chain in in you know in place these ideas, but they haven't actually 
either sat down and really articulated you know, for what purpose um, or not um, thought a great deal about how they communicate it. Because if it's a cost-saving initiative, then cost alone might cause a little bit of frustration or a little bit of neglect or, or whatever it is with people. But if it's uh, articulated in the way that you've said it, you know, if we can keep profitable, then we can keep our customers happy mm-hmm. and we can keep our staff employed. You know, do, do, do leaders need to spend a little bit more time on the, on the message? Oh, I think so. Yes. I mean, we, we all know in, in marketing and, and everything and communication, it's, it's about having a really clear message if you don't have that clear message, nobody really knows what you're trying to do or, um, or or achieve. And I think what we've seen is in the in the distant past, what feels like the distant past pre-pandemic was all flexibility type options, other than a few outliers like myself. I think it was always really employee driven. So it was mm. some employee coming along. Let's be honest. Usually, a, a woman who had was returning to, from maternity leave saying, I want this flexible work arrangement. Mm -hmm. Then we get, um, so then it was reactionary. Employers are like, okay, well, how do we sort that out? And then we had pandemic and it was the employers going quick, you know, everybody out the door, here's your laptop and, you know, go and set yourselves up and we'll make this happen. So everything, there's not been a lot of forethought or planning around why, uh, you know, we, we had a clear reason why we were doing that. Nobody wanted to get COVID, um, mm. uh, you know, but now it's different. Now it's like, okay, we've seen that mass working from home, fully distributed teams, hybrid arrangements, these things can all work. So now it's about saying well, which one actually works for my business and the way I want to run it. Mm. Absolutely. What I'm a little bit concerned about is there's some talk in certain organisations um, of, returning to the workplace 100%. Like, so it's it's completely back to, and it makes me a little bit sad because I think we made some great progress in really opening up that flexibility. How, how do you communicate a, a, the message if it is returning 100%? You know, I, I don't know that a great deal of thought or perhaps it comes from, um, wanting to get the control back or I don't know what's, what's going on there. I think, think you're right. I mean, ultimately it comes down to that leader, doesn't it? And it's, it's that leader who's making the decision and they have to do some internal reflection on why it is that they're asking everyone to come back. And those that I've spoken to over the last, um, really over the last year as we've started to see these returns and particularly over the more the last six months, a lot of them will say things to me like, Oh, it's you know so much better for my junior staff. You know they need to to see me and hear me and you know be around us to really get the mentoring and supervision that they need. And then one of them sneakily said to me after he said that, he said, "And I just really like everybody in the office because it's really good." And I'm like, "That's it. You know, you've got some insight there. You might be trying to back it up with something else, but ultimately, it's that." leader going I prefer to be in the office and I don't want to be there alone so everybody else has to come back in with me um is there a better way of doing that because I totally get it I'm like I want to join you too I want to be around people (laughs) is there a better way to do that though because it can put people offside absolutely and I think it's it, it it's like you said it's that message it's that being able to say to people I see real value you know for for me you know, if, if you are a business owner, like if, I'm, if, we're, if we're talking to a business owner today, 
um, then it would be saying, well, it's your business. Do what you like, you know. And if, if, if you really believe that for your business and you as the owner, that for you to be successful in managing that business and taking that business where it needs to go, you need an office with a team around you, then it's okay. Own that. Mm. Um, and then you can look at, all right, some of my team members want some flexibility. What am I prepared to offer mm. in a way that still gives them something that they're looking for, which still maintains the overall vision, which is we are a central workplace. Mm. Um, but I think if you, if you just start with, oh, no, you know, distributed teams don't work and no one's as productive and, you know, we're not getting things done and you're just trying to be negative about the whole thing, um, that lack of honesty is probably going to have an impact on your mm. relations with your team. Mm, which really highlights the um, importance around the, the word flexibility. Flexibility is there's choice. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And that's what, they, that's what people need. People need choice. Yeah, and more than ever, and I think that is one of the absolute takeaways from the last mm. couple of years is people have had choice um, in some respects. Uh, we won't talk about Victoria and your lack of choice. Um, and But we, we did see that coming out of all of these different things, people have reconsidered, reevaluated. you know, we've done lots of reflection and we are saying we want to have choice now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I think as mature adults or even just as adults, um, it, I kind of feel like we, sh we should be trusted with making some choice, you know, if we're provided there's some commitments and there's accountability that is around that, I think choice is quite healthy. Yeah, and, and as you said, it, it's so long as you've got that accountability around it. Yeah. And that's the other thing we hear about is this idea that we need to really truly move to that results-based um, approach. Mm -hmm. It's not about whether I can see a bum on a seat. It's not about whether I can see a computer turned on. Uh, it's, you know, it's actually about whether or not someone ha is doing the job that they've been employed to do. Mm -hmm. And I think what I've seen is in all the, you know, I get asked, oh, can you help our managers transition into a hybrid arrangement or into a distributed arrangement? You know, what, what can you teach them around the skills that they're going to need to, to manage that change? And I always start with, well, the principles are still the same. You're still managing people and their performance. You just don't work in the same room anymore and you can't physically see them all day, every day when they're in the office. But, you know, we've we've had that experience for years, you know, we've had, um, you know, salespeople who aren't in the office or there's always been jobs that aren't in the office and we manage them and we've yep. managed them over the last couple of years, maybe not so well in some instances. Um, but it, to me, it always comes down to the fact that these people probably haven't been taught the base level yeah. leadership management skills in the first place. Yeah. Agree. Totally. Definitely. So um, tell me about, you know, on that point, what kind of strategies have you found work really well for uh, not just um, fully remote teams, but that distrib distributed or even hybrid? What, what works to ensure good, productive and effective interaction as well as results? Well, continuing what we were just saying, I think the starting point is everyone needs to know what they're there to achieve. Yep. So I always say that we need um, three basic things to start with. We need a really um, clear job description. 
Mm. Um, we need great contract of employment and we need some kind of code of conduct. So we're talking about, you know, your base requirements of your job. We're talking about your performance metrics and your conduct metrics as well um, because it all goes together. You can't look at one without the other. Mm. So when you've got that base, you know what you're trying to achieve. And then we need to have some sort of mechanism for reviewing that. Um, and when you work in a distributed way and you've got people who are part-time, flexible in the office, out of the office, you know, there needs to be some strategies in place for you and your team to be communicating regularly. Yeah. So for me and my team, we have a, a standing um, Monday meeting where we cover everything that um, is needed. So that might be 30 minutes, it might be an hour. Um, and then we'll have another check-in meeting as a team during the week as well. And then there are whatever mm. other meetings, um, get-togethers we need for particular pieces of work. Yeah. But we always make sure that those, um, and, and we have quarterly meetings as well to do quarterly planning and reflection. So they're the kind of like the base absolute minimum requirements for us. Yeah. And I think everybody needs to have those. And we need to commit to those because it's too easy, especially, you know, um, professional services we always get this message or I definitely got this message as I was um, a, a junior lawyer of oh no no, no clients take precedence all the time and mm. so it didn't matter if there was some kind of internal meeting it's like oh sorry I can't make it because you know my client needs me but that just completely destroys your team cohesion and yeah. function and the it it just shows that those internal things aren't as important so I think you really mm. need to just commit to those and it puts you at the um, mercy of your the external environment, which is yes. so unpredictable and unrelenting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love, um, you know, I, what I've noticed as well is that, you know, leaders who've got a really good rhythm with how they work and, you know, I love the idea of the standing meeting on a Monday and that it's a non-negotiable and unless they're, you know, there's something catastrophic happening that this is the thing that will take the priority. Yeah. Um, and I think it really just, it gives people permission to prioritize what's important over what's most urgent. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so true. Because if you don't go to that Monday meeting, you kind of miss what is important for the week. Yeah. You know, you, then you're playing catch up. You might've done that one urgent thing, or you might've satisfied that one client who said that they couldn't meet you at any other time than that time. But you've kind of missed out on, on what's happening. Mm, absolutely. I find when you um, actually put some discipline around that and you have conviction in, the, in your decision to make that work, um, it's amazing how things around that just, they just fit in. They just, it, it kind of, it all works if you make it work. Yeah. And I think people stop being apologetic about it. Mm. I think that's another key thing. You don't have yes. to be sorry. I'm not available at that time. You just have to say, this is when I'm available. Yeah. Um, Can't do that time. Could do this time then. Exactly. How about that? Exactly. I actually think we did a bit of this when we were organising this particular conversation, didn't we? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where I like to outsource. <laughs> it's uh, Yes. You know, if that's the thing that frustrates you, get someone else to do it. Easy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, what... How do you, because um, you talk a little bit a, a, as well in your book around safety. And so what kinds of things should leaders be aware of when creating a safe environment? And I'm really curious about both physical and psychological safety. Mm, psychological safety is the the word that's everywhere, the phrase that's everywhere at the moment. It is. Um, 
and and so it should be you know I think it's something that is naturally because of the type of environment that we're in now and the fact that we're in the 2020s it's it's more important than it perhaps might have been or or there's more risks than there was before Mm. So from a physical perspective, you know, the obvious things like your desk, your chair, you know, your whole setup, is it ergonomic? Um, Then I like to, you know, reference that if people are working from home, that it's not just the literal, you know, two metres squared where they've got their desk and their chair. It's other areas of their home that they need to traverse while they're working from home. So obviously you'll need to go to the toilet, you'll need to go to the kitchen to get some food from time to time. So any... um, where on that map that you have to walk becomes workplace. So your hallway or or walking through the lounge room on your way to somewhere. Mm. So if you're stepping on Lego, then yes, that's a hazard at home. You know, it could be be a range of different things. Um, The other thing to think about is that sometimes when people work from home, one of the reasons they're doing it is that whole flexibility thing. You know, I'm going to I, for me personally, I like to wake up first thing in the morning and literally get out of bed and sit at my desk because I haven't had a chance to get distracted by anything. So I can usually get, you know, an hour or two maybe in, depending on what time I wake up, then just get some stuff done and then get involved in the morning routine and having breakfast and everything else. Other people, you know, maybe for them, lunchtime comes, they're feeling a bit mentally exhausted, they want to go out for a run. Um, there was a case uh, a number of years ago now where that happened. It was an ABC journalist. She went out for a run during the day when she was working from home and it was um, she then brought a workers' comp, effectively a workers' comp claim because when she was running, she fell over and unfortunately broke her hip. And, ter- you know, who would think that that would even happen? But she decided I was at home, I was working, and therefore this happened in the course of my employment. What the court ended up saying was, no, you don't get your workers' comp claim because it wasn't an ordinary recess from work. So it was just some random time of the day where she decided to go out for a run. But the lesson in that for the employers is that if someone's doing this on their lunch break or on their morning tea break or, you know, and it is part of their working day, then potentially that is going to be um, a a valid workers' comp claim. So you do need Mm -hmm. to think beyond the, the you know, right there around them physical environment and have so, discussions about that. I, I know for me I'd be right now going, oh, my gosh, how much responsibility am I should I be taking around uh, what my people are doing through? Because, you know, you want to give autonomy and you, you don't want to micromanage. You want to give people the ability to choose them selves but if I was like so what are you doing during your lunch break and where are you going and you know what's what, what, what show me around your house like where are the trip hazards etc <laughs> yeah, like yeah. you could get yourself completely um you could go down a rabbit warren but you could also do some damage to the culture or the the trust like how do leaders navigate that so I a good risk averse lawyer that I am um I would always say to someone you need to have some kind of agreement in place for safety. You've just got to. You you can't not do that. Um, And the, you know, agreement needs to be around the the minimum conditions that they need to be in place. I would always say that in that agreement, you should provide for the ability to do a home inspection. In practice, I don't think I've had any clients who've done home inspections. 
other than in circumstances where it happens to be the, you know, the boss going to visit the employee because, you know, for whatever reason, it's not a home inspection as such. It's just that they happen to be visiting for a work purpose. Um, and if you are not wanting to do home inspections, then the other alternative suggestion, which puts you in the best place, is to ask them to effectively complete a checklist, confirming that they've got themselves set up properly, that there's no hazards, et cetera, et cetera, and taking photos. Um, So photos of your desk, your work environment. um, You know, we all know that just because you take a photo of a desk in a work environment doesn't mean that they're sitting at that desk and work environment all day. You know, sometimes I'll pick up my laptop when I'm working at home and I'll go and put it at the kitchen table just for a change of scenery. Yeah. Um, I know course. other people like to do that sitting on the couch. That's not great for you, but, you know, people will do that. But as an employer, you can only do what's reasonable. I like that. It's the, you know, apply that reasonability test. Yeah. 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 I, I know, um, you know, there's a lot of employers who um, offer like a home ergonomic workplace assessment. What are your, what's your feeling about those? I I like the idea. Yeah, I think if so, if an employer wants to do that, um, absolutely. You know, all of those things are just, you know, one showing care and consideration for your employees, two minimizing your risk because you can show that you've taken proactive steps. Um, the only thing, other thing to balance against all of that is cost uh, and, you know, looking at your, your business expenses and deciding, you know, is this something that you consider to be a risk enough that it justifies you going to that extent mm. um, or, you know, is it something that you're not particularly, you know, mm. too worried about? Really and, also, and also, you know, having conversations with your people about how are you feeling physically with your, you know, have you got any niggles or aches and pains? I know that sounds like t- a terrible thing to ask your people, but I know I'm very susceptible to poor posture or having the wrong work set up. And sometimes I just need to be reminded that maybe it's your environment that um, could be contributing to this. And and is it time to do a bit of a check and, and just to ask the question? Yeah, and it's not. It's a. It's a great idea to have those check-ins. You know, some people will give their employees the sheet that says, "Here's all the different exercises you can do." You could even make that if it's something that's. You know, a lot of employers are are taking wellness to another level now. And if you wanted to make that, you know, five minutes of your team meeting, let's all do our stretches together, or um, you know, you send a message to everyone at a random time of the week hey, everyone, stop working now, do your stretches or, you know, anything to sort of just jog their memory about it mm. and make it a normal part of their week yeah. um, I think is, is great. And, and mm. on that basis, you really want to um, make sure you're talking, as you mentioned earlier, about that mental check-in as well. Mm. Yeah. There was a, um, a lawyer that I spoke to last year and she told me that, you know, stuck over there in the, in the Melbourne lockdowns, was sent home and didn't get a check-in call from her manager for five months. Whoa. Yeah, five months. So she was, um, you know, obviously fine doing her work and all the rest of it, but there was no, how are you going? Are you okay? Is there anything we can do? And this manager only had two reports. It's not like they were overloaded with a big team. Wow. So I think that, you know, and, and that led to that particular individual this is not for me, um, and at the appropriate time exiting the business. So, you know, we need to be keeping um, on top of all of that. It's such a, um, it's such a, 
an important thing to consider. And I've been talking to leaders about this a little bit around um, where you've got a high performer, like someone who's doing their job and they seem to be self-motivated and they're quite autonomous and they can just get in and do it that, um, you know, and they seem to be motivated is that we run the risk, particularly in a remote or a, a hybrid environment, we run the risk of leaving them for too long on their own and and we can completely forget about them to the point where they feel neglected. And in yeah. this environment where it is really, it's an employee market at the yes. moment, we risk losing some really good people. Yeah, I think you make a really valid point because, you know, it can be those really high achievers. So the work is still coming in, you know, there's no... There's no sign as such because one of the signs that we're told to look for is people who aren't behaving in the same way. Mm. And that would be, you know, like their work starts to suffer or something like that. But that's not what's happening. It, But still, you know, they're still achieving. But meanwhile, they're, they're feeling, as you said, disconnected, isolated, mm. lonely. Mm. And it's not that they, it's not that these people need to be, um, you know, handheld or mollycoddled or anything like that. I can't believe I just said mollycoddled. Um, <laughs> something my grand would say. Um, you know, it might just be, I just need you to check in once a week to go, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, anyway. I'm part of a team. I'm, I'm doing yes. this as a, as a group. You know, we're all in this together, not just me doing my own yeah. thing. I, yeah, because otherwise you end up with just with little silos. And look, yeah. if that's the business model that you're running, like if you've literally got... Um, you know, five to 50 independent people who are all just doing their thing and reporting it into you or to wherever mm-hmm. it needs to go, fine. But most of us aren't operating businesses like that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, to tell me about the, um, you know, the the options, because you've been running your um, home-based or um, what do you call it? Remote. Remote. Yep. Remote business yep. Um, for over six years now. Um, at what point, you know, obviously there's, you know, some, there's the option to change, um, what, you know, what point should you consider doing different things? If if it's not, if, if something's not working, what's the, what's the point that you, you start to shift? That's a good question. I think uh, it's, it's, Speaking as a, as a business owner, for me, I guess a lot of it comes down to what's happening in my, you know, my personal life mm. as to what, you know, what needs to shift and when things need to shift. Um, but the same can be true, you know, when you're looking at larger organisations as well. Um, you know, you, you've, got, you've got to look at, well, there's got to be some metrics that you're using to measure your business all the time. So there's obviously productivity, um, you know, financial metrics, staff satisfaction metrics, and mm. all businesses should be, you know, monitoring them, mm. um, you know, on whatever time period is appropriate for that business. And it's when you start to see that things are suffering or when nothing's changing you know like maybe there's no improvements anywhere Mm. that's when we need to start looking at shifting Mm. and so we when it comes to remote and distributed work I really do say the same thing you know mark your metrics and then if you're going to make some change then look at all right you know we've decided we're going to move to like let's allow um 
complete choice over whether people are in the office or whether they're at home. Let's just see how that goes and then mark a time period and then review the metrics and see what's mm. happened. Mm. But I think um, you, you will get signs as a leader in your business as to when change is needed and you can look mm. at those metrics, but you also need to sort of t- trust your gut instinct as well. Yeah. Um, and what you're hearing anecdotally from, from your team and from your people. Mm, Because it might be a cultural reason that you decide, you know, particularly from a satisfaction um, perspective, you might find that everyone likes the idea of a remote um, environment because you don't have to travel and it's a little bit more convenient and, you know, it's it's more comfortable or, or whatever it is. But you might actually see that overall satisfaction or engagement or the culture starts to be impacted. And I like how you say, you know, put metrics in place that it's not I like the gut feel as well. I think you need that combination of both, don't you? Yeah, yeah, it's a good leader, right? You you trust your gut, um, but you also need to have something to back it up. Mm. Yeah, so put some metrics in place. What do you do when you um, are in a distributed team and you find that you've got people that don't work well outside of an office? Because there are some people that don't work well remotely they don't have the discipline and they'll put their hand up and go I'm I'm not great in this space if you want me to that's fine but you're probably not going to get the best part of me is does that drive decisions as well based on who you're bringing into your business yeah yeah so um in the book I've got this section about the fact that you know it's not for every job and it's not for every person and you know that that's obvious you know when it, when it comes to looking at a job it can often be a lot more obvious to to look at you know i use the example of pilots you know we still need them in the plane um yeah. less obvious examples you know people will sometimes say oh well that's the receptionist they can't work remotely and i'm like hmm, have you actually done an assessment of what tasks that receptionist is doing you know um do they actually greet anyone that comes in or is that two people a week you know like so yeah. it's it's being really honest about what the duties of a role are in order to be able to determine whether it can work remote. And then it's about the individuals being really honest about themselves. And there's personality and then there's also home environment, Mm -hmm. like if we're talking about them working from home. You know, I had one employer that I worked with a couple of years ago and they said to me, oh, you know, and they're a software business and they said we hated hated work from home it's terrible Um, we want everyone back in the office I'm thinking this is weird you know you're a you're a software business and tech and aren't they all supposed to be remote and then she said to me because one of their employees said that they wanted to work from home and it was found out that they were caring for their one-year-old while they were supposed to be working and I'm like I get that you know as an employer that's not what work from home is about that's childcare. That's not. Um, that's not working from home. So it it's about the honesty and the understanding yeah. of what are your personal. Um, what is your personal situation, and and also what is your you know personality type. So mm. I like the idea of using some kind of um, assessment to to determine that. But ultimately, it comes back to what we were talking about before, which is you've got that base foundation about what it is that that employee has to achieve. Mm. And if they can't achieve that working remotely, then that takes you down the path of performance improvement and, you know, Mm. possibly towards termination of employment. Mm. I um, I often, uh, well, I wonder if we ask the wrong question around, do you want to work from home um, versus are you most effective in delivering what you need to? in a work from home environment because they're very different yeah. questions. Yeah. 
And I think it's, it's interesting, you know, because sometimes people can say they want to do, you know, they work full time. I want to work one day a week from home, right? Okay, so why is that on that one day a week that you want to work from home? Oh, because I'm going to drop my child to school and pick them up from school um, and I'm going to, you know, potter around or, you know, not have to do my, um, my commuting or whatever it is. Maybe they don't actually do much work when they're at home on that one day. But I guess as an employee, you've got to ask yourself, does it really matter? Are they actually really fitting five days of work into four? Mm. And if that's the case, do you care? Or are they still achieving the outcome and the deliverable that you're looking for? Yeah, I love that. Oh, I love that. And again, back, back to your point, let's start to measure the output and the results rather than how you're spending your time. Um, yeah, I think that's absolutely brilliant. Um, so how do we... Um, you know, how, how do we um, increase effectiveness? Um, so we're starting to see that um, productivity, well, when we first went into that remote environment, we saw productivity really rise. Um, and now we're not so much talking about productivity, but more effectiveness in that we are looking at the out, the outputs and the results. So, you know, you can be productive doing things that actually don't deliver anything in particular so we're sort of looking at effectiveness but how are we tracking from an effectiveness or you know even productivity perspective now I think the interesting thing about the whole increase in productivity that you know we saw a lot of research come out that was showing that you know people are working more hours Mm. when they're working from home so they're not commuting um, and so they're taking some of that time and they're actually spending more time sitting down and working at their at their desk Mm. And so that was sort of seen as, oh, there's this boon. And then we sort of flipped it around and went, hang on a minute. Uh, We don't really want our employees overworking, burning out, um, becoming dissatisfied and feeling that they have to work more to prove themselves because they're out of the office and not being seen. And I think that was a challenge that we were having. So it's now it's balancing this idea between you don't have to feel compelled to go above and beyond to mm-hmm. uh, allow you to keep doing what you're doing. And so instead it comes back again to, all right, this is what we need you to achieve. Mm-hmm. Are you achieving it? And you know, I can't speak enough about how important it is for managers and leaders to be having, you know, to, to really know what it is that their people are supposed to be doing Mm. and um you know to be having conversations with them about whether or not they're doing it in the way that's required in the time that's required uh and you know what else can be done to develop that individual Mm. and you know almost letting them own the journey so i think about um you know leader as coach today and i think coaching in in the remote environment or in any kind of environment is really about giving that ownership back to the individual. I'll ask you some questions that'll get you thinking, but ultimately the decision's yours and I'm going to leave you with the decision um, provided you can deliver the outcomes and the results that is expected of you. um, I'm leaving that to you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I have one last question for you. Um, and you, so you talk in your book, um, Home Force, about um, the remote framework. Yeah. 
Can you take us through that? Because I actually think that's quite cool. And you use remote as a bit of an acronym. I do love acronyms. (laughs) Doesn't everybody love a good acronym? Provided we remember what it is. Um, There's so many acronyms out there. (laughs) Well, here you go. The very first step in the remote framework is to remember. Um, So, and that's, you know, it goes back to what we talked about before. So it's about remembering the vision. So it's always starting that vision, find that vision, and then keep it front of mind in whatever way, shape or form suits you. So it might be, you know, having a gorgeous vision board or who knows what else, whatever whatever works for you. And then the next thing we have to do in it um, is to establish each role. So that's really delving into that idea of working out the, the remotability of a particular um, role and looking at what is your organisational structure and what can be done from home, what can't be done from home and looking at all those pieces. Mm-hmm. And then we need to manage the details. So I say that that's the, the core foundations for your work from home arrangements. So that'll be your safety, um, insurance issues, security issues, you know, whether you're going to provide the tools and the resources to all of your people or whether you're going to require them to provide them for themselves. So anything that kind of goes into the minimum things that are needed to put the arrangement in place, just to establish what you as a business want that to look like. And then, of course, you can always vary that for an individual. Mm. And that's the the fourth step is to organise the team. So that's when you're really looking at your individuals, working out who is designed um, or who can learn to work remotely, um, making sure that their job descriptions, contracts and and those details are really clear. Mm. And also, you know, we we talked a little bit about this idea of some people aren't suited for for work from home. So Mm. this gives you that opportunity to sort of say, well, what could we do in terms of putting in place trial trial Mm. options Mm. and and letting in and as business owners it's really important to be clear on whether or not this is a forever arrangement whether this is a temporary arrangement whether the employer can change the arrangement whenever they want or whether it's a two-way agreement so you know you can you can change change that as I think that's what some people have been battling lately is that they've had all this time working from home and they want to keep doing it but their contracts require them to be in the office. And it's like, mm. that's what your contract says. Unless your employer wants to change it, they can kind of require you to come back. Mm. The fifth step in the remote framework is training and support. And I think that's where I get most of my questions. So that's like you said, you know, how do we train our managers? How do we onboard our people in a remote setting? How mm. do we make sure that everyone is, is fully committed and onboarded and engaged together so that we don't see those communication and collaboration issues that have been raised as concerns with remote work? Yeah. And then we wrap it all up in a neat bow with um, E for evaluate. And so that mm. is really those metrics that I was talking about, making sure that you've set those metrics um, put them in place, know what they are when you start and tracking it as you go through so you can see whether remote, hybrid, distributed, whatever you've decided to do is actually working for your business mm. um, or not. Is that a monthly evaluation that you find sort of works, you know, just to check in on those metrics or is it something you do less regularly or? It'll it'll depend on the metrics. So finance, obviously businesses should be looking at that at least monthly. Um, something like staff satisfaction, probably more like six monthly as a as a you know, I wouldn't do it any sooner than that because you really want to see how people settle in. And then you might go to annually um, as well, depending. Yeah. So it's it's just dependent on the metric and how, yeah. how quickly things change and how you track that. Productivity Absolutely. performance could probably do- be done monthly as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. That's great. Thank you so much for having this conversation with us. I think it's, um, it's something that uh, I know, you know, people are still um, questioning, um, worrying about, you know, what's the best, uh, what's the best approach. Um, And so I think your, um, your knowledge and your expertise in that area has been really helpful to really kind of go, what are the things that I need to look at and what should I consider? And then how do I manage that? So thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Shelley. I always love talking about this stuff, so a pleasure. <laughs> Fabulous. Um, and so if anyone wants to connect with Jo, I'll put uh, her details in the, um, the comments or in the bio, uh, and I look forward to having another Dynamic Leader conversation with you soon. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Dynamic Leader. There is no better time than now to work through your leadership and people strategy, to establish what the future might look like for your business and how you might empower your people to help you succeed. It is through building the capability of your people and reducing their dependency on you that will keep you moving forward at pace and will see you remaining relevant in the future. I have worked with over 100 businesses across almost as many industries and seen firsthand the challenges that come with employing, engaging and managing staff. If you're looking to improve how you lead, why not reach out for a conversation? In the meantime, thanks so much for joining me and stay awesome.